We've been in First uh, John, and we've been just moving through the book. And last week, um, we got we got stopped up because uh, because John had some some tough things to say. Really, honestly, he was, he was laying it out, being honest, and um, he just said, "Look, you're a Christian. That's 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 cool. Um, that doesn't mean that you're not a hater. Uh, that doesn't mean that you don't have hate in your heart." Um, and, and that was a little, a little bit sobering. I, I mean, when we're, we, we tend to think about hate. Hate is something that other people do to us, not typically something we do to other people, uh, in our own minds at least. And, and yet it seemed as though John was saying, no, that's not the case. It's not the case. It doesn't matter um, if you're a believer or not. You, you can actually hate a Christian brother or sister. And he even said, if you're doing that, if that's in your heart, then um, that's a really good sign that you're basically just not on the path um, that God has laid out for us. That you're just, you're just off the rails. That you're, um, you're headed in the wrong direction. Now, again, for us, that just, I mean, really? I mean, a hater? I mean, how often do you, you, you get there and you're like, you're waking up in the morning and you're like, you know what? I really do hate a lot. I am just filled with hate. I've never said that. Um, but that doesn't mean that I haven't, at times in my life, been filled with hate. And so we um, we took a little uh, a, a test last week, and I just want to I want to bring it bring it back. Um, these are because uh, um, today what we're going to be trying to do is we're going to be trying to say, all right, supposing that we do hate, if that's the case, is there a way out? Is there a way out of that? And and because John he just left it there. He was like, yeah, hate it's a thing. Um, if you're doing it, that's really bad. And then that was it. And he just, he's moving on. And, and so I, I said, let's, let's talk about it. If, if it's in our hearts, what can we do to get out of it? So here's a, um, here's a, a little quiz uh, to take. Um, this is to, to find out if you are a hater. Uh, if you are one of those people who, um, who tortures Taylor Swift day in and day out as she's trying to uh, be a pop star, you're one of those people who hate, 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 hates. In fact, last week, I, I, I said I hate Taylor Swift, and it was like a riot in this place. People were like, we were like how could you? Sweet little Taylor. Um, and then, I, I was just saying, only because uh, she took her stuff off Spotify, um, so I had to buy uh, her album on, on vinyl so that my kids could dance to it, which made me upset. So that's why I hate Taylor Swift. Um, but then it turns out that I, I should have spent more time talking to Taylor Swift. Doug, after the, the service, was like, you know, we really could have mined Taylor Swift's lyrics a little more. We could have, because she talks about hate a lot, and I really wish you would have spent a little more time with her. And I was like, well, Doug, I'd love to do that, um, but this is a Bible church, not a pop music church. And so we're not going to be doing any exegesis of Taylor Swift if we can avoid it. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, Taylor Swift knows a lot about hate. question is, are we haters? And so I want you to think um, about a person or maybe a group of people that you would admit, yeah, you know what, I don't like them. They're not, they're not on, my, uh, on, my, on my good list right now. If, if I were Santa Claus, they'd be getting coal in, my, in their stockings. And I want you to, to, to answer these um, true-false statements honestly given um, that, that, that you've got this person or, or the, these people in mind. And the first is this. Um, the, you, you can't think of this person or these people without anger. Um, just, just the mere, mere thought of them. Days going great. Suddenly this person pops into your mind. Ooh, you're just mad. Okay. Next. You always think the worst of this person's motives. Um, this is something... Uh, that I've done, uh, where I, I shared last week, um, I had a, a person that I strongly disliked, and everything this person did, I just assumed was out to get me. 
Um, in fact, I was consumed constantly with every one of his actions and thinking that it was really, it was really uh, designed to hurt me or to, t- to take me down. And to be honest with you, I think I was probably right, which was, uh, but, but still not, not a good thing and, and a sign that maybe I was indul- indulging a little hate. Uh, number three, you are happy when bad things happen to this person. And you'd never admit it, but it's true. Uh, when they get in a car accident, you're like, yes. I hope they didn't die. But banged up a little bit, that'd be nice. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I did mention also the Christian version of this. Uh, the, the Christian version of this is when um, bad things happen to this person, and you're like, this person's being judged by God. This is, God, thank you for your, your righteous judgment of this person's, because like, they deserve it, and, uh, and, and that's very sweet of you, Lord, to, to put them where they belong. That's nice. Uh, another one. You enjoy talking badly about this person or these people behind their back. And I know that none of us have ever done that. Um, because n- no, one, no one enjoys just slamming somebody you can't stand. That, that's not fun at all. Uh, so, so surely we don't want to have to worry about that one. Um, a, a, another, uh, you have no sympathy uh, when things go wrong for this person. In fact, it's like, yes, this is the way it ought to be. And, 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 and of course, you know, because we're savvy people and we know how to get along in the world, we pretend like we feel bad when things go wrong for them. But, but in our hearts, we don't. We don't. And then um, last uh, but not least, you used to have great affection for him or her or them. Uh, one of the things that John talked about was he was like, you know, the worst kind of hate is when someone who is family um, becomes an enemy or treats you like an enemy. Um, that's, uh, now, now, okay, here's the deal. So if you've got a person in mind or a group of people in mind and you've answered true to all of these statements, that doesn't mean that you're a hater. I'm not going to say you're straight up you're a hater, uh, but you might be. And, and, and you, might, you might take pause. Take pause for a second. Or maybe uh, you're not, you don't experience this now, but you have in the past. And there's been someone uh, in the past where these, these, these statements have been true, and you were like, oh, I just strongly disliked that person. It wasn't really hate. I want to say, well, maybe, maybe, maybe it was. Hate uh, is, on a, is on a continuum. Um, there, there's not, you know, over here is like universal love, the ideal of love. Over here is like genocide and you know, the Holocaust, just because you're not always there doesn't mean you're not on the hate end of the spectrum, okay? So I want to throw that out. So then the question that we have is, if we're in this situation, if we're haters, if we have hate, bitterness taking root in our hearts, what can we do? Is there any way out? And that was the worst part. John was like, hey, there it is. And then he just left, and he's just like moving on. And, uh, and, and I, I think that we need to spend a little time thinking through what it looks like to get out of the hate trap. So um, let's look at our text today. This is uh, Titus 3, 3 to 7. He says, we, uh, this is Paul, we were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and slaves to our desires and various pleasures too. We were spending our lives in evil behavior and jealousy. We were despicable and we hated other people. But when God, our Savior's kindness and love, appeared, he saved us because of his mercy. Not because of righteous things we'd done. He did it through the washing of new birth and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, which God poured out upon us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So since we have been made righteous by his grace, we can inherit the hope for eternal life. It's a a beautiful text. Um, 
This, uh, this is a slightly modified version of the Common English Bible. And, and uh, you'll, you'll notice there's, um, there's a quote there, but, quote, when. Um, Paul's probably uh, quoting from an early Christian hymn or maybe even a baptismal formula. This is uh, something that he received. Um, we, uh, we talked, he received um, the, the, the teaching about the Lord's Supper. He also received this. Um, and and it's, this, it's this glorious moment where he, he's, he's showing that the very earliest Christians had already understood something really profound about who Christ was and what Christ had done. And, and he's quoting, and in, in the next verse, uh, which we won't look at, he does say, this is reliable, this is true. But look at that, we were despicable, and we hated other people. If you're familiar with the New King James, you know, we were hateful, and we hated others. Um, there's a little ambiguity in English when we use the word hateful. Um, if I say a speech is hateful, it might be that that speech is filled with hate towards others, or it might be that that speech is so terrible that I, it deserves my hate. Um, and likewise, a person could be a person who's filled with hate, or it could be a person who's so vile, so appalling, that that person deserves hate. Well, it's the second um, that Paul's using here. Uh, and it's not ambiguous in the Greek, but it is in English. And so I've um, changed to despicable, because we, we know despicable, despicable me. Um, Gru, is that his name? He's, uh, if you don't have kids, you have no idea. But Steve Carell, um, despicable me. Uh, it's a person who's just, just loathsome, right? And Paul, he... he he looks and he says, and he's, he's looking at his life before Christ. He's looking at all of our lives before Christ. And he says, it, amongst other things, it was just filled with hate. Hate for others. Enemies all around. Um, and, and, and that hatred of others made him and them, made us despicable, appalling, disgusting, gross in our hatred. And the first thing in your note sheets is that um, we have to recognize that without Christ, hate is the norm for humans. Uh, it's so ironic that we've devalued the word hate um, so that we, we, uh, we just assume it's like, you know, I hate that, I hate... I hate the color of that pew, you know, like that's the way we use the word hate. Um, it's sad that we've devalued it because what, it, what, what is, is true about hate is that it, it's a burning passion inside of us and it's totally normal for human beings. We've got fMRI studies, uh, where they take pictures of your brain um, and, and they've, they've, they've uh, located what it looks like in your brain when you're, when you're hating, right? And ironically, it's almost identical to the feeling that you have uh, when you're, you're head over heels in love. Um, you're totally irrational when you're in, when you're in love, and, and there's these extremely strong emotions, which is that overpowering emotions. Well, the difference between love and hate neurally um, is, is that that hate is combined with with a kind of judgment. Because um, if you love somebody, you don't judge them, right? When you're in love, it's like even though they totally would irritate you, you just it goes right by. And then you get married, and then it starts to really irritate you, and you're like, oh wait a minute. Uh, can we go back? <laughs> and there are moments when we do, and that's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, but uh, yeah, the difference between uh, being head over heels in love and hate is that you retain this judgment. In fact, what you're doing um, neurally is you're not only having these emotions, but you're, 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 you're saying they're deserved, they're right. This is a good thing. This person is evil, is bad, and that reinforces the emotion. It becomes constant, becomes deep. And this is how human beings actually live all the time. It is the most normal thing in the world for human beings to separate into friend and foe, and for foes to be those for whom we reserve our deep antipathy, our brutal emotions. And so Paul says, you know, before Christ, that's how we all were. And tragically, 
sometimes with Christ, it can still creep back in. Let's look um, again, though, at, at the good news. When God, our Savior's kindness and love appeared. I love that. Um, it's as though we were walking through life, and suddenly a flash, and in that flash we see the kindness and love of God. And of course that flash is Christ. He just comes on the scene. He, he appears, and in him is pure love. And, and it, uh, Paul goes on, he, he then says, he saved us, this is God, saved us because of his mercy. He did it through the washing of new birth, the renewing by the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you're, you're thinking there, Paul's, Paul's waking up one day and he's like, I'm tired of hating all the time. I'm sick of it. And so I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. And so then he does, right? No, wrong. Instead, what happens is Paul sees for the first time God's, God's saving, loving, and loving kindness through Christ. And in, in the midst of that, he's given new birth. He, he's been given, given a new father, a father in heaven who, with whom he shares relations and character. Uh, he has the divine nature. He has now, now has access to that. And it's not Paul who did it. It's God who did it through the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in and invades and, and changes and transforms. It, Paul didn't do anything to stop being a hater. God did it. Hatred is not something we fix by working really hard. Hatred is something that God fixes through the power of his spirit when we recognize who Christ is and what he has done. It's the second thing in your note sheets. Transformation is not something we do. It is something God does to us. And that, I mean, if you're like me, that's terrible news. That's horrible. Because, I mean, come on. What we're... <sighs> okay, look, if I'm going to start a business, right, which I would never do because it sounds really stressful, but if I were going to do that, I-, I would assume that the business's success or failure depended on me having a really good business plan and then executing it. I would assume that if I wanted to succeed in just about anything, I would have to put together a good plan with a good strategy, and then I have to execute that strategy. And of course, I'll be praying along the way like, God, I hope you help make this work. But I mean, honestly, I'm going to be trying to do stuff. I'm going to be thinking. I'm going to be acting, executing, right? And what Paul has just said is that transformation, your your hatred, the the bitterness that's inside of you, that is not something you can come up with a three- or five-step plan to fix. Well, maybe it is. Maybe there's a way. And if anyone, if anyone could tell us how to do it, surely it's Jesus. Right? Surely Jesus knows. So let, let, let's hear, you know, if we're, if we're caught up and we, we need to figure out what we're going to do, let's just hear what Jesus has to say so that we can get that three to five step up plan and then we can, we can get it all fixed. Jesus says this, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> You've done that? Uh, so that you will be act. I'll be honest, I've prayed for my enemies before. Yeah, and it goes something like this. Um, I'm not going to use any names, um, but be like, Lord, um, I really, really despise so-and-so. But because I'm a good person, I'm going to let you take care of it. So God, I'm praying judgment on that person. I'm praying that you really, I'm not kidding. I know it's funny. Ha ha, the pastor, the pastor here has, has had anger problems in his heart. I'll admit that. And I'll be honest, I, I, and honestly, I think if you read the Psalms, this is a good way to deal with anger and hate. Because 
you can't just make it go away. So what I do, I'm like, Lord, I'm going to leave it into your hands. I'm not going to do anything. You're the one. I'm going to leave it up to you. You go, and, but I'm asking. I really am. Go ahead and just knock them down a little bit. Take them down a couple of pegs. That's, that would be sweet. I would really, really. That's how I pray for my enemies. Um, and I, I'm, it's, it's in the Psalms. I'm, I didn't invent this. It's in the Bible. Uh, but we, we're not going to talk about imprecatory Psalms today. We'll do that another, another day. Uh, so love your enemies. Pray for those who harass you. And then this one, uh, this next uh, Luke's version of this text. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And to him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Stunning advice. Um, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. I, I think what's, what's going on here, I, I do think these are good things. I think that we should be following Jesus. Um, but I also think something else. I think that Jesus is giving this teaching to people who've already been transformed from hate. If you've got hate in your heart for somebody and they slap you across the face, you're not going to be like, oh, here's the other one. Instead, no, you're going you're to hit back. That's who you are. That's what you, because you've got a lot of hatred in your heart for this person. If, if you hate somebody, you're not going to be like, hey, man, can I buy you a Coke? Uh, just, can I give you a back rub? I know you look a little tense. Let me just work that out for you. You're not probably going to do that to people you hate. However, if you're the kind of person who's already been transformed, you're, you're already filled with, with love, then maybe, maybe these are the kinds of things that you can do, and, and in, in so doing, begin to convert people who do hate, and change them through your actions. In fact, the only thing that Jesus says that's even remotely close um, to what we're discussing, and that is trying to escape hate, is um, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he talks about if you're at the altar to make a sacrifice, and you remember that you have something in between you or a brother and sister, go and reconcile first. Um, and man, doesn't that sound so easy? Go and reconcile first. I mean, have you tried it? It's really, really hard. So then, what are we supposed to say? If we're not in a situation where we, we've got some step-by-step Five steps, here's how you get the hate out of your heart. What will we do? And if it turns out that really God is the one who, who transforms our hearts, then, then what, you know, how do you, how do you walk out of here and, and, and apply that? What, what, do, you, what do you do? What, what, what can go on? If, if the Bible, and this is the third thing in your note sheets, does not teach us how to overcome hate, that only God can do it, then we're kind of stuck in a bind. Um, and, and there's a reason for that. Um, and, and that's because, you know, hate, uh, is not something that, like, uh, every person's the same, you know? We're different in the way that we process hate, in the way that we um, are, are transformed and, and, and brought out of it. Human beings just are, we're, we're diverse, and, and there's, no, there's no, like, just perfect way to handle it. But I do think there are some common threads. Um, and I, I just wanted to, to share, these are um, some extensive uh, quotes, but it's, um, it's, it's from the Old Testament, a couple of stories about um, people, brothers, uh, and, and in fact, family members who were deeply set against each other in hate, and yet, um, and, and something took place, and, and I think we can draw some, uh, some lessons from this that'll help us have an idea what to do if we find ourselves caught up in hate. So the first is uh, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were brothers. Jacob was the younger brother, um, 
And so he wasn't supposed to get uh, his father's blessing, uh, but he tricked his dad with the help of his mother, um, and he stole the blessing of his father from, from Esau. And we find out that so Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father at hand. Then I'll kill my brother. Man, they really took care of business in the Old Testament. Uh, and, and the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah, that's their mom. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau com- comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. <laughs> One of the cool things about the Old Testament is how true it is. I mean, have you ever, when you're really mad at someone, don't you just kind of sit there and just imagine all the, all the, the, the things that you're going to do? Like that, that witty, um, the witty parting shot you're going to give them the next time they say that thing that drives you nuts and how good it's going to feel. Esau takes that to the next level. He's planning uh, the death of his brother. Um, but it's the, the, the principle is pretty similar. A bunch of stuff happens. Um, years go by. Life happens. And it, and, and it comes time uh, for Jacob and Esau to be reunited. And this is what happens. Esau sees Jacob. He runs out to meet him and embraces him, fell on his neck, kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children. This is uh, Jacob's family now. And said, who are these with you? So he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. He goes on and says, then Esau said, what do you mean by all this company which I met? Uh, Before they got there, Jacob like, sends like all these like cows and stuff, which is sort of like giving presents in the Old Testament. Um, and get all these presents and servants and whatnot. Um, and, and Esau's like, what, what's all this for? And Jacob said, these are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. Um, but Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, seriously, seriously, if I found favor in your sight, you're not going to kill me. Take the present. Take it. And as much as I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God and you were pleased with me. Please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. So he urged him and Esau took it. I mean, wow. That hate overcome in this text. Here are some people who, I mean, Esau ready to to do the deed, um, you know, Cain and Abel style, and and then then things happen, life happens, and suddenly they're weeping and embracing and giving each other gifts. Uh, a little later um, in Genesis, we hear the story of Joseph and his brothers. Joseph uh, was more popular with his dad uh, than his brothers, and they were mad. And his dad, if you remember, gave him like a really expensive uh, coat. Um, I guess like the modern equivalent of like a leather jacket made by Vera Wang. Is that a person? Is that not, is that not a person? Yves Saint Laurent? I mean, how do you even say that? Ah, anyway, something like that. Because I've been there. I've been to Vegas. I went to Vegas once, and there's like, um, went to, uh, down the shopping at the Caesars Palace, and they have jackets there that cost like five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. And you're like, all right. I don't even get that at all. Anyway, Joseph had one of those, and his brothers hated him for it. But when Joseph's brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Then it gets worse. Joseph has a dream in which they're all serving him. <laughs> And he tells him about it, because he's not too bright. Now Joseph had a, had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. But then life happens. A little of this, a little of that. Families. Um, there's a great famine. Joseph ends up in Egypt. Um, they, uh, they actually tried to kill him. Um, and instead of killing him, they sold him into slavery, because they were being 
merciful. And uh, through that, uh, uh, miraculously, Joseph ends up working for the, the Pharaoh of Egypt. He's like the second in command. And, um, and then uh, there's a famine that hits, and Joseph administrates uh, really well. So there's food for everyone, and Joseph's brothers end up coming from Israel to get food from Egypt because they hear about it. And, and, um, and, he really wa- and Joseph greets them, and he, he, he's, like, he's kind of mean to him. He's like, I really want to see my father, so they're going to go back and get his father. But their father dies before um, he can see Joseph, and, and so this is what happens. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. I I can't remember whether or not their dad actually said that, but they they wanted him to think he did. Uh, Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants." The dream came true. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people. Now therefore, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and for your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. It's interesting um, that if you read the whole story, there's nothing that... Esau, um, or Joseph, or his brothers, or Jacob do to overcome hate. It kind of happens. But there are some things that, that, um, that there are going on in the background, and I think that we have in some ways some control about some of these circumstances, some of these threads that we see in these stories, some ways, strategies maybe, that we can kind of set, set things up. We can say, okay, God, I really don't want hate in my heart because it's, I mean, yeah, it's not good. I don't like it. But I, I'm not exactly, I, I, can't, I can't get it out. It's an emotion that's controlling me. I'm owned by it. And I want you to take care of it. Um, and so here are some, some things that we see in these stories that I think we can maybe kind of use and, and be a, a, some principles that we can take that can help us as we try to develop, uh, as we try to escape hate. Um, and so yeah, the first thing is two willing parties. Um, it, it's interesting in both of those t- uh, stories, it's like they don't know if the other side's okay with it or not, right? Like Jacob's really worried that Esau's still going to kill him. Um, and, and Joseph's brothers are really worried that he's going to take him out. Uh, and that's reconciliation, if it's going to happen, it's a risk because you don't know if the other side is, is going to be willing or not. But that side has to be willing. And if they're not, and you're trying to reconcile with somebody who really wants to keep hating you, it's going to go really badly for you. They're going to abuse you. They're going to take advantage of you. And they're going to rip your heart open again and again and again and again. If you, it's a good thing for you to want hate to end. But if hate isn't, if the other person's not willing, or if you're not willing, it's not going to happen. There will only be division. Uh, The next thing, recognition of the importance of family. How interesting. um, Did you notice uh, Esau's language? My brother He emphasizes blood. Blood unites more than this sin and this hate divides. If you recognize the importance of family, then there's more likely to have some kind of reconciliation. In the church, we are the family of God. We all share one father. Did you notice uh, Paul's text? Rebirth. We have new birth in the spirit. We are brothers and sisters. If we recognize the importance of this family unit, of these people who are our 
now our flesh and blood, and we recognize the value of that, then maybe we'll be more inclined, more inclined to, to let some of these things go. We'll be in a better situation for them to, to be let go. The next thing, confession. Um, it's really, really hard to paper over hate. And for any of us who've been uh, deeply bitter, we know that you almost never have a situation in which one person did all the bad stuff and the other person's just a victim. That's not how human beings work. Instead, we, we probably all are victims and perpetrators. And as a result, as a result, you've got to be able to lay it on the table and say, hey, this is, this is, the, this is the truth. It doesn't mean it's going to solve hate. It doesn't mean it's going to take it away, but it's a start. Uh, the fourth thing, a token or gift. Jacob's like, hey, man, have a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and it might be kind of like a bribe. But you know something? I told once uh, that uh, my wife Erin loves orange. Ro- she loves the color orange. When she's confronted with something vibrantly orange, she becomes almost unstoppable, passionate. Uh, she just she can't control herself around anything really, really orange, which is great for me, and I like it a lot. You ladies probably like red or white roses or whatever. Aaron likes orange roses. And God bless them. Uh, the Mitchells, they have an orange rose bush in their home. And so every once in a while it blooms and they, and they uh, give us a gift of orange roses. Um, and that always makes my wife uh, so happy. The reason they do that is because I told you once about um, how, how this is, uh, when we give flowers, that this is a, a token or a gift. It can say so many things. It can say, I'm sorry. It can say, I love you. It, it can say, uh, but... Yeah, it's kind of manipulative. It's kind of a bribe, right? Honey, I know I should have cleaned up, but hey, have a bouquet of roses. We're good, right? I mean, but it shows, it's an indicator of where your heart's at. And Jacob wanted to, to have that um, with, with Esau. And so I think that it, if we too, when we're, when we're dealing with hate, it's valuable for us to try and, and think of, of gifts or tokens to show our, our sincerity, to demonstrate that it's real. Um another one, and these, these last two are actually really close. Uh, separation or space. Um, the hardest thing about hate is that because it's such a powerful emotion, it's not something we have control over. And sometimes the only thing that we can do is be apart. Be separated from the person with whom we're at odds. Um, Sometimes just not having to see that person can help cool um, the, the flames, the passion. Sometimes not just having that person brought to your mind, just getting away um, can work wonders for our hearts. And included in that, and, and you noticed um, in both of our stories, uh, Jacob goes off and starts a life, you know? And Joseph goes off to Egypt. They're apart for a long time. And, and you know one interesting thing about when you're separated, you start to recognize how, what you've lost, the value of what you've lost, because you're not together anymore. You, you, let's be honest, we take each other for granted. But when you're away, that's so difficult to do. And, and combined with that is the last thing, it's time. Uh, they say time heals all wounds. That's not true. But sometimes, sometimes time can, can create a space for God to do important and valuable things. Did you notice uh, Joseph? He, he's had so much time and space to reflect on what's happened to him. He says, guys, listen, I know that you were terrible. You literally sold me into slavery. It doesn't get a lot worse than that. But God used that. God made something powerful happen out of that. 
And, and, and with that perspective, that, that time and that space, Joseph was able to see something larger, something bigger, that made the fractured relationship seem less important and, and want to have it re, uh, brought back together, reborn. None of these um, is guaranteed to take hate of, out of your heart. Only God does that. Only God uproots it. And, and really, I think one of the things that Paul is, is in Titus is, is, is noticing is that when we really reflect on who God is and what he's done, um, his love overcomes our hate. That's something that God does. That's not something that we can, we can do. We can only recognize it. We can only receive it. These are just um, some, some threads, some strategies, some, some, some ways that we might set the stage, okay? Set the stage for reconciliation to happen. Um, our job is not to do the performance, right? Um, our job, we're like stagehands, okay? Uh, if you think of reconciliation, you think of losing hate as a play, okay? Our job is not to, to do, be the actors and to, and to do everything to figure it out. Our job is to set the stage so that, it, that God can come and do the acting. This is the last thing on your note sheets. You set the stage, but let God do the acting. Um, in your notes, I, I even extended it. You set the stage for relinquishing hate, but ask God to do the acting. Ask God to do the acting, you get your tokens, get your space, get your time, um, and, and then ask God to cool and renew. I can't emphasize um, how important this is. Not only is it really good for you because hatred um, shortens your life. They've done studies on this. Haters die earlier uh, than non-haters. Um, but also, it damages um, the church brutally. Uh, the people who, who think about Christianity... Um, they often accuse us of, of hypocrisy. Um, and they're right. We are kind of hypocritical. Uh, everyone's a little bit hypocritical. But one of the things that we can do as a church body, as brothers and sisters, to signal to the world that we are different, we have been changed, that God is real, that Christ does um, make a difference, that he does forgive and change, is we can be the people who do what everyone wishes they could do and watch as God takes the hate out of us and replaces it with love. You set the stage. Let God do the acting. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, I pray that um, we'll not be people of hate. I pray that um, where it's taken root, Father, you will um, begin pulling it out, uprooting it, God, we confess that it's your spirit, it's your character, it's your nature, it's your power that removes hate, that replaces it with love. God, um, for any of us who are battling hate, I pray that um, we will find ways um, to confess, uh, to be willing to reconcile, uh, to, to create space, to give time, all those things, God, so that, that we can see you work. We can see you make something beautiful come out of something that's ugly and broken. I ask, Father, for reconciliation for all of us who have been trapped in hate and that in you we have hope. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.